The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on FM, where we always chase the coolest, newest and most interesting tech. But you know what? We're moving into a world where being online, digital first, is going to become more than just a reality. It's going to become the way of life, the way we work, the way we learn, the way we interact, the way we teach. Everything to do with everything is going to have a component and a large component of online life. I have no doubt that as this whole madness of the past few months recedes and as we find the various cures and um, vaccines, we will get back to a normal life. Offices are still offices. I think there's still a lot to be said about having a place of work and a place of home, a place to live, a place to enjoy yourself. So I think the world won't change that fundamentally, but I think the way that people not think, I know the way that people do their work, do their entertaining is going to change fundamentally. I mean, it's going to be hard to get people back into cinemas other than the social evening of having a meal, going out, going to the movies, on the big screen, etc., etc. But there's going to be so many ways um, that you're going to have to, or that you're going to do stuff at home. And one of the huge deals uh, of the last couple of years has been streaming. As the Internet has really penetrated deeper and deeper across most of urban South Africa and urban everywhere, and as the... Um, the, the speed and the capacity of mobile networks has picked up and the launch of 5G. Talk a bit, a bit about 5G. There's still so much hysteria surrounding it. But as 5G comes more and more available now from Vodacom and Rain, we are finding that streaming and consuming video products through the Internet at home has become just the way to do it. It's, it's quite a struggle. And on that note, I mean, uh, DSTV, um, is still extremely relevant. They've just released their results and um, some er- some interesting factoids coming out of it. You know, they've got 19 million customers across Africa and uh, they keep t- their revenues are up. So people are still using streaming or the non-streaming services, but there's some big, big news in on that front coming up. But we are definitely going to watch more and more streamed content, less and less linear sort of content and everything is becoming on demand. So I'll be back with a quick and interesting announcement from uh, DSTV straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. DSTV announced their results yesterday and something that slipped out while they were doing so is that DSTV have signed up with two big streaming players in the world, certainly the biggest Netflix, and the other one is the Amazon Prime platform. And that sounds like craziness. Why would DSTV, which um, obviously makes its money from buying content from around the world, supply it to their customers in South Africa, do a deal with theoretically their biggest competitors? I mean, the chat around uh, when, you know, full streaming launched in South Africa with Netflix and all the other platforms that they would kill, you know, should we cancel our DSTV subscription and only take the um, <clears throat> the streaming options, which on the face of it are far, far, far cheaper. So I think, and like I've seen with what's happened globally with um, 
Hulu in the US, what's happening with um, Sky in Europe and the UK, is that it's not an either-or decision ever. There's no question that DSTV complete with its sport, its news, and a whole host of much more specific programming, religious, um, local, music, those sort of things, is a far broader and much more comprehensive offering than any other single focus streaming system. Obviously, Netflix over the years has grown to have an enormous catalog of product. It's almost always something to watch, even though right now, Things seem to have slowed down a little, but I think that's due to other issues. But it's not an either-or conversation. And like Hulu have done in the States, like um, Sky have done in the UK, it makes sense to add these particular streaming services to the the bouquet of services that are offered from um, DSTV. And the trick will be the following. A lot of people don't have brand new fancy TVs with the apps. Perhaps they do now have a reasonably good internet connection. They don't want to buy a set-top box. But what they may well do is buy a new DSTV decoder. And as they are right now with Showmax connecting that into the decoder, they'll simply add Netflix and Amazon Prime and give more options. The thing to remember that these are separate services. They will have to be billed for separately, but I have no doubt that what DSTV will do is they'll be able to be added to the DSTV uh, package and and you'll pay for it through DSTV. They might give you a slightly better bundled rate if you do all of them together. Whatever the marketing that comes from it, it just makes so much sense. So you'll have one point of of entertainment streaming, and also they announced that their full DSTV streaming platform will be launching um, very shortly. So right now, DSTV is very much uh, a, a linear programming platform. You watch it as you watch it, as we've always done. The DSTV Now app is available on the various platforms, and you can catch up certain things. Not everything is streamed, but it's very different experience to Netflix, where everything's on stream, on binge. Some of the stuff works the same way with uh, DSTV, but not everything. Um, but what they're going to do is offer a full standalone streaming-only product, which will be quite interesting. You won't need a satellite dish. You won't need a decoder per se. You can download the app on your smart device, on your laptop, wherever you are, and get all of the programming that DSTV offers without any of the the, the, the equipment issues. But for the most part, they've got millions of customers that have got a DSTV decoder and a dish. It is a great way to stream or to deliver content without the internet. Um, and in many cases, you can get really good quality that way. There's also a hint they're going to release 4K streaming and 4K uh, video through their new decoder. So I think in many ways, DSTV have really reacted well to the coming uh streaming apocalypse that they were all thinking about. And it just shows that a really well-run, well-curated bunch of products, even at quite a high price, I mean, it's close to 900 Rand a month for a full bouquet of, of streaming services. Um, and when you start adding the Netflixes and everything, you can easily spend over one and a half thousand Rand a month with all the various bits and pieces. But 
DSTV still offer a, a choice of product that is almost impossible, what is literally impossible to get in South Africa. A lot of um, content that is not available for streaming outside of the USA and other territories. So it just makes sense now that what DSTV have done is consolidated that into one experience, one set-top box, one way, way to get to your content, and expect to see that all launch in the next couple of months. I reckon in the next two, three months, we're going to see it, along with a brand-new decoder, which will give you all these capabilities in one little box. And I think that will talk to a lot of people who don't want to have 30 remotes and multiple uh, apps that they have to keep opening and closing and, and dealing with. Everything will be presented, hopefully, in a fairly coherent easy to to work system but again having played with sky having played with um uh, hulu from around the world they integrate the various platforms in fact the apple platform does the same thing as you subscribe to the various channels it all seems to come up in one place with one way of of, of viewing everything that you need and it becomes pretty seamless one box one remote and one way of accessing everything that you want both streaming and linear, and all the sport and all the news and everything that you need to do. So I think DSTV are onto a good thing. Their results were good, and it certainly shows that there's definitely a huge demand for content and for for um, entertainment. And that's not going to stop. As I said, with the whole change to cocooning, staying at home, um, entertaining at home, and perhaps not spending as much time in the, in, in the great outdoors – for entertainment purposes, big TVs, streaming services, and the DSTV are going to be probably the go-to place for everybody to do these things. So watch the space. I think they'll be out fairly soon, and I think we're going to see uh, quite a lot of uptake of that. It just makes a lot of sense, and hopefully they've done some good deals with those big streaming services, and we're going to see some uh, pricings and options that maybe will be enticing. So Good on them. I think that was smart, and I think they staying on top of what's going on. Before we get to uh, TikTok Cafe, we're um, going to be talking about some interesting topics. Um, I just want to mention that Android, for those Android freaks out there, Android 11 has been launched. Um, it was delayed slightly, but I think things in America settled down a bit. But the new Android 11 beta is out. It's only available right now on the Pixel phone, which is not available in South Africa as yet. But developers um, can download it, can can use it. And what they've done is actually improve a lot of stuff around how people communicate. So the conversations, notifications, bubbles, voice access has all been slicked up. The little that I've looked, it really looks like they're polishing the Android experience dramatically. So we're going to see quite a big improvement in ease of use, um, how you control your device and the various platforms. So, for example, the SMS system is going to be highly upgraded um, to look a lot more like uh, WhatsApp. So interesting stuff coming in that space. And um, you can get that now if you're a developer. And if you're a Pixel owner that you're imported, you can download it and install it right now. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So now back to um, a, a real, I've actually, and the reason I've decided to actually discuss this and talk about it at this point is a very simple one. There has been an enormous amount of media um, and 
advertising and campaigns and all sorts of activity in in the the media in on television in radio in on uh, the social media f- uh, channels by Huawei were around their brand new launch of the P40 series, the P40 Pro, the P40 Lite, and all the other products that they're selling currently on the market. And unfortunately, having played with most of these products recently, including the P40 briefly, um, Huawei over the last three years have become one of the most consummate manufacturers of technology that I've ever seen. Uh, in many respects, they did in the initially copy almost letter for letter what other people did. But they've really pushed the envelope from a technological point of view with camera systems, camera quality, operating quality that has easily matched and in some cases of late um, exceeded anything that any of the other big brands like Apple, Samsung, and others have done. The interesting thing within the technology space is that there are only so many things you can do. The state of technology exists at a particular point in time. And by that, what I mean is that in a, a smartphone camera, there are only so many technologies. Most people use either a Samsung sensor or a Sony sensor or a couple of other sensors. You can put fancy um, lenses from Zeiss, from Hasselblad, from who, Leica, whoever you want. But essentially, the state of the technology limits how far you can push the envelope. Huawei, Samsung, and a couple of others have done a great job, even Apple for that matter, using computational uh, methodologies, have done an amazing job of making the smartphone camera probably as good as, in many respects, even better than some professional cameras because you can't put a professional camera in your back pocket, can you? Um, and Huawei certainly did push in that regard considerably. So from a purely hardware and technology point of view, the new range of Huawei phones all the way down to their Y7, which is quite an inexpensive device, really offers enormous technological bang for the buck. They are brilliantly made, beautiful screens, lovely construction, outstanding cameras, and performance internally to match. And this is where it starts becoming, unfortunately, extremely challenging for them and for you as the consumer. Again, I've had a million questions from listeners, from friends, family, and just general people out there. What should they do? A lot of them have, over the last little while, bought Huawei phones. I've always been a huge fan of them in terms of their quality and their pricing. Um, And they now want to know what they should do. Should they upgrade? Shouldn't they upgrade? There's been a lot of talk about what's happened since May last year when America put Huawei on the entity list and effectively stopped them being able to sell on any new devices that were produced prior or after 30th of May or roundabout. In fact, it was my birthday, the 16th of May, 2019. Um, prior to that, they could all come with American software, which is Android, and all the various bits and pieces that came with it that could be built on um, American chips and technologies um, prior to that. And even after that, there were certain exemptions in terms of those sort of things, the chips, the basic uh, processors, and all the radios, etc., that went into it. Um, and they managed to, to, to sidestep a lot of the issues for a period. What it resulted in is the mate 
and the new P40 series, along with a whole lot of other uh, phones coming out featuring Android, but the free version of Android. Android that's not licensed to anybody, and anybody can use at any level. What uh, Huawei did was, in their normal normal way, they used their own UI, which is the interface, which goes over and above on top of the Android underpinnings of the, the operating system, and they created something called HMS, which is Huawei Mobile Services, to replace the um, Google GMS services that Google could no longer license to Huawei for use on their phones. The problem with not being having access to GMS is that every single app that you use has to be rewritten and repurposed to work with with HMS because nothing that was made to work with GMS and the various services. What GMS does and what HMS does, what both of these services do, is add the stuff that actually makes the phone work really well. So, for example, maps, all the necessary technology to link to the GPS satellites, um, make maps work, work is embedded into GMS or HMS. All the security around YouTube, around streaming videos, etc., is built into one or two of those platforms. Again, banking all the various banking services and security around banking um, is built into GMS or HMS, not into the base operating system. So by not being able to use GMS, Huawei were unable to offer any of those apps um, that used any form of services like location, like security, like anything that worked on the phone through the operating system. Now, what Huawei did and have been doing and have done an exceptional job of moving it along in the last little while is recreate and replicate all these services outside of Google. So now you get a phone like the P40, any of them, that has no Google services whatsoever built in. No maps, no mail, no nothing. Nothing that Google offers, no drive, none of it. None of those services are available, but they've replicated them for the most part um, via their own services. That all works according to plan. You've got maps, you've got location, you've got absolutely everything you need. And also most of the banks, with the exception of FNB, are available on their platform. And this changes the way that you work. You can get Facebook and you can get WhatsApp and you can get most of the apps that we use. But considering how quickly, how little time they've had to build their own app ecosystem based on their own um, mobile, their own HMS mobile backend, um, they've done an exceptional job of getting it out there. But effectively, they've got 40, maybe 50,000 uh, apps compared to the millions upon tens of millions of apps that are available in the um, in the Android ecosystem. And the average guy is not really keen to go running around hunting for apps and downloading them, sideloading them. It creates a level of complexity and, and friction that for the average user is almost not worth the trouble. But they are improving it every day. And if you're a bit of a geek and you love the camera and the hardware features, maybe you can live with it. My personal um uh, advice is not to because it creates far more problems than you would want to deal with in the normal day. And I mean, it's as simple as this right now. I'm sure they'll get it right in the nearest future. But right now, if you're an FNB customer, you cannot do FNB banking on your Huawei phone at all. Does not work. Finished and clear. No problem. YouTube, biggest, um, biggest, uh, 
database of music and video does not work. You can do it through a web browser, but it's not quite the same experience. A number of games do work. Most of them don't work. So there's just a lot of that. And I mean, in this day and age, we, we are so embedded with our um, phones. We take it for granted. You can just download an app and use it for all sorts of weird and wonderful things to find that the vast majority of those apps, especially the, the smaller apps, are just not yet ported across to the HMS system is a major ball ache. We saw this problem with Windows Phone, and it actually eventually killed Windows Phone. So I'm not saying that Huawei won't get it right. They're throwing billions of rands at it, literally. And um, they may well come right in the next couple of years. But the, the, the curve to get to a point where people won't notice the difference between Google mobile services and uh, Huawei mobile services is still huge. And they're in the early days of it. So good luck to them. But right now, it just makes no sense. If you live in the West, in China, it's not a problem. But if you live in the West and you have any involvement in any Google service that you use, like Gmail, um, there's, it just is not... It makes no sense at all to buy any uh, mobile phone from Huawei right now. But this is where it starts getting so super, super interesting. The the original ban was set to expire in May 2020. And at that point, everyone, most of the industry, because it's not good for the industry what's happened around Huawei. They've done an enormous amount of work. They're one of the leaders in the mobile space, both on the um, network side and on the hardware side, and a player like that pulled out of the entire ecosystem does not bode well for the entire ecosystem, although currently there are fantastic alternatives from China and from everywhere. So it's not really a retail problem for the average consumer, but it is a huge problem for the ecosystem because a lot of strong competitors always makes a huge difference. But what happened in uh, may may be the final straw that breaks the Huawei's camel's back in terms of how they're going to approach the mobile market going forward. And I'm not yet seen uh, any significant reaction from Huawei other than the standard sort of bluster and, you know, they'll make a plan and uh, they're under attack and it's unreasonable, which it may well be. But the fact is what America has done has effectively broadened the um, the entity list and the banning to every single part of the the chain and the core chain of technologies that Huawei uses in their devices and not only their mobile device devices but every form things like um, their their dongles their um, their their five G fixed modems their four G fixed modems. The equipment they use uh, for their networking and for their back-end systems, the chips that they use in their 5G transmitters for, for telcos. So what America's done is said that no, uh, the U.S. Uh, Department has banned all American technologies and IP and everything that goes into the manufacture of chips. Now, what Huawei has done, over the last couple of years is grow their own chip manufacturer to compete with the the chip manufacturers that exist in south in 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 the rest of the world a company called high silicon and that competes with samsung's chips it competes with qualcomm's chips 
and all the latest devices, the P40 series, the Mate series, use their own high silicon chips, which have been using ARM technology and all sorts of other technologies, mostly in the fabrication and in the creation of those chips, to compete very, very, very effectively with the chips that are available from other manufacturers. So the P40 series and a lot of their um, more advanced radio networks were using chips that were every bit as good, if not better in some respect, than some of the chips that are available in the market. And by essentially adding all those type of um, chips and technologies and creating to those uh, those chips to the um, to the entity list and block effectively stops Huawei from manufacturing those chips on their own. And case in point, one of the major manufacturers of the chips that they used in their P40 series is a company called um, TMS, which is Taiwan Services. It's a Taiwanese company. Um, and this company, which has got probably some of the best technologies for making chips down to five nanometer, way ahead of other guys like uh, Qualcomm and Intel, um, are now precluded from making those chips and designing those chips for Huawei. And that absolutely surgically cuts them out of the market because there are other chips that don't use technologies. But the lead that American companies have got in the fabrication and design of um, chips is so far ahead of the some of the third-party chips from Samsung or another company called MediaTek that don't use those new advanced technologies. It makes it impossible for them to compete with the top end of phones from Samsung and from um, anyone else, for that matter, using those technologies, uh, Apple, for example. And it because TMS, that's the company in Taiwan, makes the latest Apple chips, so does Samsung make some of those latest chips, and they won't be able to make those chips for Huawei. In fact, Huawei, I think, was the second biggest customer of TMS in Taiwan currently. So this surgical strike against TMS actually brings the entire Huawei portfolio of product into huge doubt. I have no doubt that for the next year that Huawei will have sufficient chips stored or sufficient orders on the way um, to keep things going. So don't I don't expect to see any impact on the current ranges of phones. But for example, the new P50 that would come out next year, February, will not be able to have any of the chips or any of the technologies that compete with the chips that are available right now. So or will be available at that time. And this, for me, completely and utterly changes the equation for everybody. If you weren't, if if it was simply a matter of HMS versus um, GMS, in other words, Google services versus versus Huawei services, you know what, Uh, that's a decision the consumer's got to make. Which apps don't they want, or can they live without them? And for the most part, you can... Make a plan and do it. Whether you want to is another decision altogether. But it was a serious problem and one that I believe while we were working really hard to overcome. But when you get down to the bottom line, that the actual operating core of any smartphone is no longer as advanced nor as um, competitive as the other top ones out there in the market, you suddenly are no longer a player. At the low end, Possibly you can sell a ton of phones, but that was not where Huawei were going. That was not where things were happening. And they are 
unable at that level to compete with pretty much anybody in the world. And for better or for worse, whether we like it or not, um, America has firmly relegated Huawei and its ability to deliver high-tech solutions, both in the infrastructure, radio, and technology space, and in the handset space, to to a second-tier, very non-competitive company, which will not be able to keep up with all the latest technologies that are available across the world. So it's rough. It's a real problem. And I'm not sure how Huawei can or will be able to respond to this, because even if they try to do all of these things themselves, which is another story philosophically in a completely different way, it's going to take them a couple of years to catch up because there are simply no ways to replace some of the technology in the, in the manufacture and design of the core chips that actually exist within all the products that Huawei make from modems to radios to computers to you name it. Um, it's going to be a huge, huge, huge problem. So in a nutshell, to wrap this all up, right now, I would say avoid Huawei products as far as you possibly can. Um, and uh, let's see how this all plays out in the next couple of months. And on that note, we will be back right after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So now moving on to some more exciting tech news. And this is not really tech news, but it's still super, super, super cool. Um, been struggling to get gadgets. A lot of people are not uh, uh, launching them or shipping them. So it's been a real challenge. So, uh, you know, um, apart from the fact that I'm working from home, getting square eyes from being oyster zoomed, um, there's just no question that uh, the, 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 the gadget world will recover and we're going to see lots of fancy new stuff coming up very shortly. But uh, Ford have launched, despite the downturn and no sales of cars over the last little while, Ford released yesterday or announced yesterday a brand new Figo Freestyle and it's full of tech, which is without a question what it's all about, being a tech show and all the rest. I'm going to ask them to send me one, you know, and they're pretty good at that. Send me a new Ford Figo, Ford Free, Figo, too many F, F, F's in that one. Ford Figo Freestyle, the FFF car, uh, for me to, to play with as a gadget, uh, in the nearish future. But having, uh, been part of the launch, which was also super cool, what they did, they dressed up one of their guys in a, um, a dinosaur suit and delivered a little package of hand sanitizers, chocolates and masks for me to enjoy while I did the live stream or watch the live stream of the, the actual launch. But the Figo has been on the market for a little while. This is a, a slightly more upmarket, but extremely well priced from 200,000 to 250,000, depending on the various variants, um, variant of it. It looks a little SUV-ish, which seems to be the trend pretty much everywhere. Um, and having driven the original new Figo, I was super impressed with the quality, the build, and the drive quality of the car. But what they've done is they've really upped it, upped the game quite a lot, and it, it complements all the other, the other product on the market that's available. But it's aimed clearly at younger guys, younger people who are looking for a more exciting, more complete uh, model. It's got bigger wheels, slightly higher uh, ride height. It does sort of exude mini SUV type vibes all the time. But what 
what was really cool and what was interesting to see is that apart from, you know, all the standard car stuff, you know, and I'm not talking any of that here, that's not the nature of the show. It looks super cool, but what they've done is they've thrown a ton of um, technology gadgets and whatnot into it. So the Titanium series comes with a brand new floating six and a half inch touchscreen, touch the color display. It's got the new Sync 3 system, which interestingly enough is based on um, BlackBerry technology. How's that for a little known fact? So you've got BlackBerry technology sitting in there, and the Sync 3 system really works extremely well. You can play, um, you can you can use Google Play, you can use Android. It, it, it works extremely well. Having played with it for a while, I must say it's one of the better ones. Voice works well. The touch works well. It's just a really good interface, and it's easily equivalent to some of the much more expensive systems that you find on BMs, Mercedes, and others. It's just an absolute pleasure to use, and it's really clever. It works extremely well with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And in addition... The, the, the more fancy derivatives have keyless push start button entry, um, automatic climate control, auto dimming rear view mirrors, headlamp activation, rain sensors, all the stuff that you expe- you really don't expect on an entry level uh, car for that matter. Along with all of that, it's got an interesting thing, which I think parents might be quite keen on because it's the sort of car that you probably buy for your your your, your newly uh, licensed 18 and so old drivers. It's got something called MyKey. Now, what you can do is you can program a key uh, for a younger driver, for example, or for anybody, um, which inhibits incoming phone calls. So they can't take phone calls on their system with uh, once it's set. It also can restrict top speed. So you can set it so that they can't exceed 120 Ks or whatever. Um, It can also reduce the audio system's maximum volume. It sounds a little bit too much like Big Daddy, but then again, all of this makes sense. And it can actually disable the audio system altogether if the safety belts are not connected. So it's really, really, really clever. Um, And it comes obviously with a very enhanced uh, anti-theft alarm and engine immobilizer, which is great. All these standard sort of technical things about electrical windows, um, and all that good stuff. But generally, the technology, the level of technology, Bluetooth, um, all the stuff you need, obviously part of the whole uh, sync system, even the lesser variants have that as well. So you've got all of these things in a really well-priced, funky-looking um, car that rides extremely well. It feels like a much bigger car. It rides well. It's got all the physical safety elements and all the gadgets and gizmos that a modern, uh, technically savvy person would absolutely love. So check them out. I think they're really cool. I'm super impressed with the the original ones. I'm going to, I'm going to drive one of these and play with all the gadgets and report back on, on high. I know it's not the drive show, but it's the tech car show. And, and you know what? Cars have become gadgets like pretty much everything else. So we'll be back straight after this, and I've just got a quick roundup of some more news items because Intel and Apple might be parting ways shortly. So I'll be back straight after this on those stories. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Um, I just wanted to uh, 
discuss because a lot of people have heard about this and there are a lot of fans of, of Apple out there. Um, Apple may well be replacing the chips inside its computers. So from uh, Huawei's chip woes to Apple's chip solutions, it's pretty pretty exciting what's going on in the chip world. The computer chip world has been dominated by Intel Corporation for decades. They've always had the best, the fastest. AMD's come along, tried to compete. IBM, well, AMD's done quite a big, good job, in, in certainly in the gaming space, but they've remained a, a second player by a long margin compared to Intel. And even a company as big as IBM got out of the chip market because it was just too big. Obviously, all the major chip manufacturers today are mobile, which Intel missed completely. And Microsoft, um, and Apple, through its mobile division, have built chips, which are in all their latest phones, that are as powerful as many chips that are available, processes that are available in computers. So now we're sitting with a situation where your iPhone uh, 11 has got a processor that's more powerful than your big, huge Dell or even Apple laptop from a, a year or so ago. So what has happened is that for a long time, there's been a rumor that Apple will be replacing the Intel chips inside their computers for chips made for themselves. And apparently next week on the 22nd of, of May, they are going to announce that they are indeed going to start switching across to the own manufactured internal chip away from Intel. And this could be, they only got about 10% of the market, but it still could be a big blow for Intel because they are now making those chips at a company, as I said, in Taiwan called TMSC, and they are based on technologies that Intel haven't yet come out with. Five nanometer, Intel's sitting at seven nanometer. The, the difference between the nanometers, the smaller the nanometers, the more chip, more uh, processors you get, the more transistors you get in, on the processor, the faster and more advanced it is. So watch this space. You might just get a Mac that still runs Mac OS, uh, but it'll be more powerful, much more battery efficient than anything Intel's done to date. The danger is that it may no longer run Windows and all the apps and every program is going to have to be rewritten. But it's been done, and uh, they've done it before over the years. They went from a Motorola chip to an IBM chip to an Intel chip, and now they're going to a uh, an Apple chip. So who knows, but watch this space. We're going to see some really interesting stuff coming from uh, them in the nearish future. Now, the last little app of the day that I want to talk about, and obviously video calling has become huge. Everyone's Zooming, and everyone's teaming, and everyone's doing some interesting stuff. And a couple of weeks ago, um, Microsoft announced that they're trying to introduce some incredible technology which will actually change the way that uh, video conferencing works. Obviously, the picture's important, but even more important is the sound. And when you're working from home, you've got the dogs, you've got in my case, Hardy Tower's making a hell of a record outside because I live near Delta Park and there's lots of trees. All of that noise interrupts and makes your video conference far less professional. And Microsoft demonstrated some noise-canceling technology that absolutely kills all of that, the clicking of your keys on your keyboard, the noise in the background, the kids running around, the dogs barking, and it really worked extremely well. And they are going to introduce it into... Um, Teams very shortly, and it, I think it's a bit of a game changer in terms of way things go. But not to be outdone, Google have actually started rolling that exact same uh, technology into the Google Meet, which is another 
platform that competes with Teams and, and, and other platforms on the market right now. So I've tried it. It works exceptionally well. It creates a really clean, easy to use. Um, we don't even notice it's working. It's just there. So if you're keen and this is a problem that you have, switch across and try um, Google Teams and see it's, if you've got a Google account, it's free for now. It's available. Um, try it out and see if this is the one that makes you seem super, super, super professional. And on that note, I've been told that it's time to wrap up. It's time to get going. But uh, stay stay safe. Stay in touch. Stay using Teams or Zoom or whatever it is that you want. Talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Do your business. And remember that technology is keeping you sane through this entire crazy experience that we're going. And uh, what a good job that we've got all this fabulous tech to rely on as of now. So this is Stephen Ambrose, Tech Talk on High FM till next week, same place, same time, and more tech.